This episode is brought to you by FX's The Veil, starring Elizabeth Moss. FX's The Veil is an international spy thriller that follows two women as they play a deadly game of truth and lies on the road from Istanbul to Paris and London. One woman has a secret, and the other has a mission to reveal it before thousands of lives are lost. FX's The Veil, now streaming, only on Hulu. I'm Ken Apsack, and this is Daily Thrones, a quick look at the world of ice and fire. Let's take a look at Jon Snow. We love to do it here. I believe he is the main character, or one of two main characters at best. That's said with a lot of respect to Cersei Lannister, Jamie Lannister, Tyrion Lannister, uh, Gentry, Hot Pie. Those are big characters as well, but you have Daenerys Targaryen, and Essos, and Jon Snow, and Westeros, and North, and way north. Song of Ice and Fire. And I believe, I believe... That's Jon Snow. Ice and fire. Stark and Targaryen. I believe it's Jon Snow. But what about Jon Snow? Where will he be at the end of this show? He is the king of the North now, and I keep talking about this here on Daily Thrones because he certainly didn't campaign for that. He didn't campaign really even to be the Lord's command, Lord Commander of the Night's Watch. I don't think he wanted that, but he felt he should take it. Sam worked so hard to make it happen, especially in the books. John was a good Lord Commander, but even then, that didn't work out well. He ran into some problems. He is one of those leaders, not a boss type of guys. There is a difference. A good leader can be a good boss, and a good boss can be a good leader, but sometimes they're very separate. Robert Baratheon might have been a good leader. He rallied people to his side, and he won. As Tywin says, there's a difference between winning and ruling. You can inspire people to win, but can you continue to rule? And it's ruling is not necessarily a bad thing. We're not talking under an iron fist. Robert Rathing was not a good lead, uh, ruler, but he was a good leader. I think Jon Snow falls into that a little bit. Sansa Stark, we talked earlier a couple days ago here on Daily Thrones about Sansa being possibly the queen. I think she'd be a better queen than Jon Snow. And should it shake out that Jon Snow has somehow offered the Iron Throne to sit upon it and rule the Seven Kingdoms, I think he'd turn it down. That's not something Jon Snow wants. So where does Jon Snow go at the end of this? There's something to say about Jon Snow and Frodo in the Lord of the Rings stories. Frodo goes on this wonderful, fantastic, heart-wrenching, dangerous, death-defying mission to return the ring to Mordor. As we know, he does, but he's uh, already gone. He's already paid a price, and he's never the same. And he has to go off to the Grey Havens at the end of the story. It just makes sense. He's forever changed. It's too much. Jon Snow, at the end of all of this, will have gone through a lot, including death, including being on the other side. When the dust finally settles, when the fires burn out, and the snows drift away, and the Night King and his army is gone, and Westeros perhaps gone with it, or forever changed, where will Jon Snow be? Where will he be in his heart? Where will he be in the land? This, none of this, can go back to normal. Go back and watch the pilot. Those opening moments of the Stark children playing, Bran practicing his bow and arrow, Santa practicing needlepoint, Jon Snow brooding, 
that is disrupted pretty early. The news that Ned Stark must go take the head of a night uh, a night's uh, watchman, a ranger, as we know, it's forever changed. We're never going back to that world. And Jon Snow, I think at the end of this, could walk away from it all. He could be so deeply scarred. His family gone, his love gone, himself gone at one point, and then finding out that he wasn't who he thought he was. It sounds great right now. Guess what? Big win. You're a Targaryen. Yay! What? That's a heavy burden. And Jon Snow is the type of guy that carries these burdens deep. It's not like a Braun or even a Tyrion. Jon Snow carries his emotions on his sleeve and deep in his heart. And I think at the end of this, Jon Snow will not be sticking around. What do you guys think of not just Jon Snow in Season 7, but all the way through 8 at the very end of the story? Is this his story? What's his journey? And will it affect him permanently? Is he, figuratively speaking, going to the Grey Havens? Let me know. Call on the station here on Daily Thrones. Find me on Twitter at Ken Napsuck. Use the hashtag Daily Thrones. We, my friends, are one week away from Season 7. Look forward to talking more up until then. I'm Ken Absack, and this is Daily Thrones, a quick look at the world of ice and fire. And I was doing uh, my rewatch, still getting ready for Season 7. And uh, we've been talking a lot about Season 7 predictions and what might happen. But I wanted to take a moment to dive back into Season 4 and just talk about the acting. Episodes 6, 7, and 8, and the entire season, and look, the entire show, but Episodes 6, 7, and 8 contain some of my favorite one-on-one scenes and contain some of the finest performances, I think, in Game of Thrones. It's You could look at uh, Oberyn declaring himself champion for Tyrion, shot on Pedro Pascual's first day on the, on the shoot on this, on the, on, of that season. Spectacular performance. You have Jamie Lannister and Tyrion. Peter Dinklage just owning some of these scenes. You have Baelish and Sophie Turner. I think Sansa Stark uh, standing up for Baelish against Lord Royce and kind of the rulers of the Vale as uh, they just try to discover what's going on with the death of Liza Aaron. Sansa learning to play the game then in that moment. I think it's some of Sophie Turner's best performances, uh, one of her best performances in the series. She can be maligned a little bit as an actress. She was a young girl, maybe learning a lot of stuff on the on the job. I think Maisie Williams kind of came in stronger early, but Sophie Turner has a great presence, and I think in this scene you see a lot of what she's capable of, and there's some great moments she has elsewhere in the show, don't get me wrong, but I think this is her finest moment thus far today. And Aidan Gillen does so much does so much. He is very diabolical in season four more than I think any other season. He's almost almost pushing over the top. I remember watching the uh, scene where he, uh, he speared Sansa away and Dantos Hollard takes uh, Sansa to Baelish's uh, ship and uh, the first it's the first time you've seen Baelish this season and uh, <laughs> it's it, he's talking like a vaudeville villain and it's almost the most over the top Peter Baelish gets uh, with uh, his uh, being a villain in the show but there's a lot of finer smaller fine-tuned moments with Aiden Gillen and I think in that moment where Sansa's 
confessing and, and in a sense lying and defending Peter Baelish. He's just standing there stoic and looking. It's all in his eyes and it's a great moment. I think that is some of the best stuff. Daenerys Targaryen sending Sir Jorah away for the first time is another moment that comes to comes to my mind. Amelia Clark is, is, is a good actress and she has some great moments. But Ian Glenn is a great actor who consistently does so much, sometimes with so little on screen. I'm not talking about what he has to work with, dialogue and everything. I'm just, he conveys so much of a story, so much pain, suffering with just his face. Go back to season three when they take Yunkai. It's the ultimate, quote, friend zone moment. That's a, uh, what the memes call it, I guess. But when he comes back and Daenerys asks where's Dario and that look on Jorah's face, it's heartbreaking. And it's uh, he barely reacts, he barely moves, but the story is there. He does that again when he is kicked out of Marine. He does that again. Daenerys is all fire and brimstone. She's hurt, and rightfully so. I understand it. I'm a Sir Jorah fan, and it breaks my heart every time. But that moment, again... He conveys so much by using just so little. It's wonderful, it's magical, it's nuanced, and it's to be praised. Ian Glenn, pretty damn good actor. But if you go back to these three episodes, there's just so much to chew on. You got Pedro Pascual, you got Charles Dance. I mean, him as Tywin Lannister is just a big win. There's a lot of great performances all throughout Game of Thrones. But those three episodes, just for some reason, always stand out to me. It's these big, big moments. But a lot of them are played very, very small and very, very real. And above all, I don't want to take anything away from Peter Dinklage. Whether it's his big monologue to everyone in King's Landing, and I said, I should have let Stannis kill you all. Whether it's having to watch Shay confess against him or explaining the meaningless murder of Beatles at the hands of his late cousin Orson. There's so much there that he gives and so much it leaves on the table as a performer. It's awe-inspiring. What are your favorite performances in this season beyond? Let me know here on Daily Thrones. Hey, Ken, Kevin Ross. Uh, we're only six days away from Game of Thrones, so I was wondering how you plan on your preparations uh, for the big day. And um, uh, are you going to uh, stay home? Are you going to see it with friends? How do you plan on spending that Sunday for Game of Thrones? Thanks. Hey, guys, back on Daily Thrones. I'm going to put a call up from Kevin from the three cocktail questions about how I'll be getting ready for the premiere of Game of Thrones Season 7 this Sunday. Aaron here on HBO or HBO Now or uh, Roku or uh, Messenger Raven, however you get your Game of Thrones. How are you going to watch Game of Thrones. It is a big question. Game of Thrones is definitely a party show. People like getting together, watching the show, experiencing it, talking about it. I think that's why after shows about Game of Thrones do so well. You want to have a community to play around with, and I am at times no different. I will say this. I can get a little grumpy when watching Game of Thrones in a room full of people. I prefer to watch Game of Thrones with alone or with someone one or two people at most, maybe a significant other, close friend, someone who appreciates Game of Thrones. I don't mind doing a rewatch with someone who's learning Game of Thrones because then we can talk about it and explain. But when it comes to watching new episodes of Game of Thrones, 
I like to hone in. I like to get my notes in order, my brain in order. Uh, last couple seasons, I've had to do shows right after, so it's a little different experience for me, where I'm kind of producing my own after show while I'm watching Game of Thrones. Last year, while I was hosting Screen Junkies Watching Thrones, I would watch an episode of Game of Thrones four times, at least, sometimes five, four times before I went to air the next day at 1 p.m. Pacific time. So I'd often I'd watch the 6 p.m. or the the basically the East Coast feed, watch it. Do notes, watch it again, watch it again, compare notes with my uh, uh, re- research assistant, Lon Harris, over at Screen Junkies, and we'd have a show by 1 o'clock the next day. This year with Collider, I'm going to be hosting Thrones Talk, and we're going to be having shows on Sunday for the first and last episodes, Monday, for episodes 2 through 6. So my Game of Thrones premiere will be with a room full of friends, a room full of co-workers, Having a good time, make no mistake, grumpiness aside, it's a good crew to be watching the show with, and we'll be having to get notes going and go live on air at 7.30, roughly a half hour after the episode airs for us. So we'll see if I can pick up on the subtle hints and the subtle clues of the story. But overall, I generally watch Game of Thrones alone. I know, that makes me a little bit of a fuddy-duddy. How do you guys do it? I want to know. Do you have big parties? Do you like watching in groups? Do you like watching it multiple times during the week? Or do you let it sit and watch it later on or maybe after the season? Game of Thrones is definitely a party show, like I said. So the big question is, how do you party? Let me know here on Daily Thrones. Hey Ken, so how do I watch Game of Thrones? So the last couple of years, so the season premiere and the season finales, I do watch with a group. But most of the episodes in between, I do watch alone. And I do kind of prefer, like you mentioned, watching alone because I like to really zone in on what's going on. I like to just like try to pick up any little detail. But I actually, I do watch the episode always at least twice before the night is out. Before I go to sleep, I will rewatch the episode because I like to see, is there anything I missed? Is there anything I didn't catch? I love to watch it all. I love to watch all the recap shows. I try to watch as many as I possibly can. I mean, the ones I enjoy, I, of course, will be watching Thrones Talk all season and Screen Junkie Show and all that stuff. Yep, so basically the premiere and the finale I watch with people in the middle, I watch by myself. As I close out my broadcast day here on Daily Thrones, my thoughts are with Mance Raider. I was just re-watching Season 5, Episode 1, where Mance bids adieu. Now, this isn't about Mance in the books. That is relatively different. And though I am uh, sometimes a little perplexed and definitely disappointed that the show didn't follow Mance in the books a little bit more and a little bit longer, I actually love Mance Raider on the show. Kieran Hines does a spectacular job making an impact with not a lot of screen time. He's built up. He's a character that, much like, say, Jabba the Hutt, by the time you meet him in Return of the Jedi, going back to the way the movies were originally presented, he's a character you had heard about, a character that had been built up, and then you finally see him, and it's like your expectations were exceeded. For me... Mance Raider on the show did exceed a lot of expectations. He's built up as the king beyond the wall of a dangerous group of wildlings. In fact, he gets together some of the more dangerous clans. That's one of his skills. So I expected, quite frankly, a man like Tormund. And when you first meet Mance in that great scene in Season 3 when Jon Snow bows to Tormund, 
it has an impact to me. Everything Mance Raider says is a bit of a life lesson for young Jon Snow. And it's said with much heart. It's said which, with conviction. It's, it's said with heart. I, I, I do love it. So even though his story is far less in terms of time, in terms of chewing up the scenery, Mance Raider on the show definitely have its, has his place. I love the lesson Jon Snow goes through. Egret leading him along the way. From looking at the wildings as wildings to free folk. And one of my favorite scenes in all of Game of Thrones absolutely is Mance Raider and Jon Snow in the tent following the Battle at the Wall, the Watchers on the Wall episode, the next episode. Toasting to Egret, toasting to Mag the Mighty, toasting to Gren. He was from a farm. I love that scene. It shows a lot of the character of Mance Raider. Shows his heart. And when he refuses to bow to Stannis, and I'm a Stannis fan, and that's Stannis' moment of glory. I understand where Mance is coming from. And I love the final lesson Mance gives Jon Snow. When he somewhat stubbornly refuses to kneel. Watching that scene again, you're like, Mance, bend the knee. The wildlings are going to fight for Snow anyways. Let them fight for Stannis. But he doesn't. He has principle. And as he says to Jon, all he ever wanted was that choice. To either bend or not. To die or not. That's all Mance ever wanted. And it's a painful final lesson. And it's one of my favorite moments. When Jon Snow takes him out of sh- with an arrow and shows some mercy and saves a little bit of Mance's dignity before his people. Mance Raider may not have been on the show as much as we wanted. He may not have lasted as long as we wanted. For what we got, it had a high impact per scene ratio. And I tip my cap and say goodbye again to Mance Raider. What are your Mance thoughts, memories, and what are your lessons learned? Let me know. Call into the station here. Find me on Twitter at Ken Napsuck. Use the hashtag Daily Thrones. And don't forget, Daily Thrones is also now on iTunes. Via the Anchor app, you can listen here. You can listen in larger chunks there. See you guys next time on Daily Thrones.